Please turn in your Bibles to <clears throat> Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 32 through 56. We read in this passage of the death and burial of our Lord Jesus. And as we come to the Lord's table this afternoon, we remember it was your sins and my sins that caused this event to occur. To occur. We praise God that in his grace and mercy and great love, that he has for sinners, that it pleased the Father to crush his only begotten Son, the spotless Lamb of God, that we might be forgiven, that our indebtedness to God might be stamped, paid in full. To God be the victory in all glory. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. Verse 32, chapter 23. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to, to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, or Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, and said, Do not even fear, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle when they observed what had happened began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing there at a distance seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, cut it into the rock where no one had ever been laid. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had, over, who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They then returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Almost have a sense that we need to continue to read because resurrection is coming. He lives. Our Savior lives. As we go to prayer once again, we want to pray especially for the Heritage Reformed Baptist Church there in North Canton, Ohio, with Pastor Mike Waters and Pastor Det Wilder. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Father, as we heard your word read to us this morning, our thoughts go to that hymn where we sing, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Father, we're thankful for the willingness of your Son who though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And how thankful we are, many of us this morning, for that shed blood there on the cross. Because without that shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But by your grace and through the work of your Son, many of us in this place know the forgiveness of sin. And we pray that many may come to know of that reality and experience that for themselves as they turn in faith and repentance to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we would pray that this would be a day of salvation. Father, we're also reminded on this day of the important duty and responsibility and task that you've given to us as men who are fathers. Father, we pray that you would help us to be godly fathers, that we would, Father, be diligent in seeking to teach our children the things of God, that we would 
care and protect and guard and rule over our families with love, compassion, and warmth. Father, we pray that we would not only instruct our children and our families, but that, Father, we would be examples. That, Father, while our children would no doubt know that we are not perfect men, may they know that we are men who love you and desire to bring up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We would confess our many failures. But, Father, we're thankful for your mercy and your grace. And, Father, we pray that we might continue and seek to be diligent in our responsibilities as fathers. Father, we would pray as well that you would be with those who are not able to be with us this morning. Some are away, and we pray that their time of vacation would be profitable for them as families. Father, we pray that you would help them to be diligent in guarding their hearts and even drawing near to them wherever they might find themselves this morning, giving themselves to the worship of our God. Father, we would also pray this morning for your work as it's carried out in other places, how we thank you for the relationship that we've enjoyed with the Heritage Reformed Baptist Church over these many years. Thank, thank you for what we've seen you do there in their midst. And Father, we would pray for them this morning that you would be pleased to add to their number such as are being saved. We pray that you would be with the pastors and help them to be faithful men who shepherd the flock of God. We know that one of their concerns and requests is that you would bring in or bring about other shepherds and pastors there in that place. Would you answer that request in a positive way for the good of that congregation? Thank you for their willingness to give of themselves, even in evangelistic efforts of going to the missions and and street preaching. And Father, we pray your blessing upon those endeavors to share the gospel. Father, we just pray that you would watch over that flock and may you give them many, many more years of faithful and useful service for the kingdom of God. Now we ask as we come to open your word that you would come by your spirit and minister unto us. You know our hearts. You know where we are. May the word of God be effective in each one of us this morning to the glory of your great name. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, before we come to open the Word of God, let us take our hymns of grace once again. Hymns of grace 368, Speak, O Lord, 368. Let's stand together again as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses is preaching or teaching his final message to the children of Israel. And no doubt it is his desire to see them go into the promised land and love and serve and obey the true and living God. When we come to this part of Moses' message, Moses is saying farewell. He's saying goodbye. And no doubt, he's concerned for these people. He has been their leader. He has been their mediator for over 40 years. Now he tells them that they're going to go into the land without him. Because of the consequence of his own sin, because of the frailness of his own body, he will not be entering into the promised land with them. However, he does assure them that they will not be leaderless. In addressing the people, Moses says to them, It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you. He goes on to say to them, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. And then he looks to Joshua, who will become the human leader of the people of Israel. And he says to Joshua, do not fear, do not tremble, which we mentioned last week is usually something you say when someone's about to enter in to a situation in which there may be reason to tremble and fear. Joshua knew the people that he was now going to lead in Moses' place. He knew that these people could be Difficult. They could be rebellious, disobedient, grumbling and complaining. He knew that even the meekest man to perhaps ever walk the face of the earth, Moses, became so frustrated in dealing with them that he struck the rock in disobedience to God's Word. But the encouraging word that, that Moses gives to Joshua is the same thing. Be strong and courageous, for you will, for you will go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you. It's interesting that when Moses speaks to both the people and to Joshua, 
the encouragement that he gives them is that God will go with you. Yahweh's presence will be in your midst. And Moses is telling the children of Israel, as well as Joshua, the presence of Almighty God, the presence of Yahweh, is something that you ought to treasure and pursue more than my presence with you. You, you can imagine that most of the children of Israel would be saying, we're not sure about this change. We're not sure what's going to happen. Moses, we like you as our leader. We want you to continue to be our leader. And Moses says, no, I can't. But there's one greater than I am who will be with you, and that is Yahweh. Therefore, do not lose strength. Do not grow weary. Do not fear. The abiding presence of God, which you ought to treasure above everything else, will be with you. And anything that disrupts the presence of God among you, you, you ought to deal with quickly. For the one thing you want above everything else, more than those houses, more than those wells, more than those vineyards, you want to know the presence of Almighty God among you. And that's the same way with us as the people of God. We, we ought to, to yearn and long for, for God's presence with us. We ought to be a people who, who delight and pursue and are passionate about walking daily with God. In Psalm 63, the psalmist says this, O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. I remember years ago preaching from Psalm 63. And I read those verses and began to open them up. And afterwards, someone came to me very transparent and said, I don't know that I've experienced what David has spoken about or written about in this psalm. How many of us can say, that we pursue and are passionate about living every day in the presence of Almighty God. Though everyone else forsake me, if God draws near to me and I can draw near to God, then all is well. When we come to Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 9, this is after Moses has 
assured them of the presence of God that would be a part of their lives. He then goes on from verse 9 to verse 13, and he basically is giving them instruction on how one is to walk with God. How one is to draw near to God. How one is to live in the presence of God. And he sets before us in these verses two things. First of all, he gives us the blessed means in the pursuit of the presence of God. The blessed means in the pursuit of the presence of God. And then secondly, He gives us the blessed result in the pursuit of the presence of God. So so these two things we open up here in this passage of Scripture. First of all, the blessed means in the pursuit of the presence of God. Follow as I read, starting in verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests and the sons of Levite who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debt, at the Feast of Booth, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which He will choose, you will read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Moses is instructing them how they are to draw near to God and how they're to cultivate a sense of His presence. And Moses' instructions come in two ways. First, by his actions. And then second, by his words. So his instruction concerning how Israel is able to walk with Yahweh and live in His abiding presence comes by the actions of Moses. Verse 9. Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests and the sons of Levi who carried the ark and all the elders of Israel. Moses wrote down this law. The question might be, what did Moses write down? Did did Moses simply write down the ten words? The Ten Commandments? Or did Moses write down the explanation and the exposition of those ten words that we have here in the book of of Deuteronomy? Did, Did Moses write down all the laws of God? Did he write down things that we find in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers? What exactly... Did Moses write? And here's my answer. We are not told how much of the law Moses would now give to the priest. 
You might remember back in chapter 27, Moses commanded the people to write on stones all the words of the law very distinctly once they had entered into the promised land. Remember that? When you enter into the promised land, they were to write the law of God down on stones. And then they would pass through it. And it would be a constant reminder to them of God's word towards them. The stones would be placed so that all the people could see them. Now that suggests that perhaps Moses wrote out a small portion of the law. Like the ten words. Or even the instruction given to them. We read in Ezra that when Ezra read the book of the law during Nehemiah's day, he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. That sort of indicates that he wrote out quite a bit. Quite a bit. For it was read from daybreak until noon in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. So how much or how little Moses writes down, we are not told. But Moses writes down the revelation that God has given to him, either a shorter form or a longer form, whatever the case might be, and he hands it to the priest and the elders. And they represent the whole nation. And they were given the assignment to teach God's Word. They were to treasure it and hold it. And teach it, instruct it. The task of these leaders was to preserve and propagate this law. God's revelation to the people of God. So this is the action that Moses took. But then we also notice here, by way of a blessed means, the words of Moses. Then Moses commanded them. Moses instructs these men how they were to see that the Word of God was brought to the people. At the end of seven years, a time in which all the children of Israel would gather together at the place where God chooses, which we know will be Jerusalem. When all Israel comes and appears before the Lord your God at the place where He chooses, you shall read the law in front of all Israel in their hearing. There was to be a public reading of the law of God. A reminder that God came down from Mount Sinai and spoke to them. And that God was still speaking to them in the recorded Word of the Law. And so the means by which they would draw near to God what was to hear the voice of God, to listen to the Word of God. That's the means by which they were to draw near to God. I, I was thinking about that in our day. 
our day, we seem to think the way we draw near to God is by trying to manipulate people, either with music or other ways of entertainment, to try to get people to draw near to God. It is in God's Word that God draws near to His people. It's His Word that's not to return void. It's His Word that men come to faith in Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's the Word that helps a man live a pure life before God. It's the Word that God uses to draw men to Him and for men to be drawn near to His God. It's the Word. Dear people, don't despise the Word of God. Don't fall prey to the culture and the idea that the Word is secondary. God makes Himself known in His Word. His Word. And all the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so the Word of God needs to be our primary focus as we gather together to meet with God. Can you imagine coming to meet with God and yet ignoring His Word? And yet so many are trying to do that in our day. So the blessed means in the pursuit of the presence of God is Yahweh's Word. But then that leads us secondly here in this passage to notice the blessed result in the pursuit of the presence of God. Look at verses 12 and 13. Assemble the people, the men and the women and the children and the aliens who is in your town so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So here we have... The result, as, as the Word of God is read, as the people hear the Word of God, there, there, there's a certain end, a result that Moses says will come about as that law is read. Now, the first thing I want you to notice with me from the passage is those who are charged in this pursuit. Those charged in this pursuit... It's when the people come together. And notice who is to assemble. Notice who Moses expects to hear the Word of God. He says very clearly, it's the men and the women and children as well as aliens, strangers. No one is to be absent from hearing the Word of God. In Nehemiah, we read that when they read it, it was men and women and all who could understand. 
I think it's a reminder to us of how important it is, especially as we think of hearing the Word of God, that we don't simply think of adults and let the children run wild and, 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 and be absent from hearing the Word of God. It, it is absolutely vital that our children hear the Word of God. Now, I understand that it's so much easier at times for adults to hear the Word of God if the children are taken away someplace and entertained for an hour while the parents are listening. I understand that temptation. But Moses expected the children to sit and listen and hear the Word of God. And I believe we do a disservice to them when we shoo them out of the auditorium and entertain them while the rest of us hear the Word of God. Children, young people, it's important that you hear the Word of God. I suppose if I gave you the option to stay up here and listen or to be swept away and entertained, most of you would say, give me the entertainment. But children, what you need to realize is every time the Word of God is open, we're here to hear what Yahweh has to say. And He even has something to say to children. You ought to desire to give attention to God's Word. And what's true of them is true of us as adults. We gather to hear the Word of God. The purpose of our gathering is that we might know the presence of God and how does God make His presence known to us? By His Spirit, using His Word. That's how God shows up. That's how God meets with His people. When He tells us where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. We don't look around for some glowing figure that may be in our midst. We're not looking for a cloud to come through the window and sort of hover over us and say, God, God is here. We, we don't try to work up your emotions and, and manipulate your emotions and, and get you to sway back and forth and think God is here. God is here by His Spirit. And the Spirit takes His Word, His living Word. This is, a, this is a living Word. And it takes the living Word and it makes it effective. And God, therefore, then meets with His people. If, if we assemble together 
and never open the Word of God and walk out of here and say, God met with us. Does that seem right? How does that happen? God meets with us by His Spirit and by His Word. And when we assemble together, we ought to all assemble together for that very purpose, to meet with God in His presence. So those charged in this pursuit, men and women, children and aliens, and then notice secondly, the end of this pursuit, the end of this pursuit. He says, assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, the aliens who in your town, so that you may hear, learn, fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear, learn, fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. You see... When we pursue the presence of God, there are certain things that we long to take place. First of all, we need to hear it. And, and hopefully, by this time in our study of, of the book of Deuteronomy, you'll recognize that, that he isn't saying, make sure you're in the building so that when pastor speaks, your ears vibrate and you hear the noise. That word here, remember what it means? It means give attention. Take notice. I, I may have used this illustration before, but, but how many times have, have you been driving down the road, you and your spouse, You've got the radio on. There, there, there's something on the radio that you're interested in hearing, and your wife then decides that's the time she wants to tell you about what happened yesterday. And so she's telling you what happened yesterday when she talked to Aunt Mabel on the phone, and you're trying to listen to the radio and what the radio announcer's saying. And so you're, you're, you're listening to the radio announcer, and, and it's obvious you're not listening to your wife. And she finally says... Do you hear me? And you say, yes, I hear you. I know you're talking. I can't help but know you're talking. But that's as far as it goes. How many times have you looked at your children and said something about, are you hearing me? And they may say, well, yes, I heard you. What I say... I don't know. I saw your mouth moving and I heard vibrations in my ear, but I have no... No, this is pay attention. I think we used this illustration before too. It's like when you find yourself in an emergency situation where someone's not breathing and you don't know what to do and you call 911 and the operator says, okay, here's what you must do. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got to listen. I've got to pay close attention. This person's, it's a matter of life or death for them. 
I'm not going to say, okay, I'll listen to you. But at the same time, one of my favorite tunes is playing on my radio. So I'm going to listen to it also. No, you're going to listen. You're going to pay attention to what's being said. So, so you're going to hear the word. He says then also, and learn it. And learn it. Be instructed by it. Ask questions. How does this apply to me? How does this affect my life? Do you know, over and over again, this morning, down in my study, as I, as I thought about this, I, I began to review the book of Deuteronomy. And how many times they're instructed as the people of God to learn, to hear and learn. And I started writing some of them down. Chapter 4 and verse 10. Chapter 4 and verse 14. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 and verse 31. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Chapter 11 and verse 19. Chapter 14 and verse 20. And then, you know what? I said, okay, enough. I quit. Over and over again, he's instructed the people not only to give attention to the Word of God, but learn it. It's the same, the term that's used here to learn is also translated being taught. Being taught. The Word of God ought to have an effect upon how we live. The Word of God ought to have an effect of what I am as a man, what I am as a husband. What I am as a father. The Word of God ought to have a bearing on what I am as a grandfather. What I am as a citizen. What I am as a pastor. The Word of God should, should have an effect upon my life. And so they're told they need to, to hear the Word. They need to learn the Word. And he says, notice the passage... So that you may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God. What's the fear of God? What does it mean to fear God? Well, I, I trust most of you, I, I trust, have some idea of what it means to fear God. But, but just to remind you a little bit. Thomas Watson says this, The fear of God is the reverencing and adoring God's holiness, and setting ourselves always under His sacred inspection. It is to be taken up with God in His holiness, and adoring Him, and living every day under His inspection. He sees everything that I do. The fear of God means I live my life recognizing there is only one true and living God whose inspection I am constantly under and whose ears are constantly hearing all that I say and who will one day judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. That's what's living in the fear of God. It's, it's walking with God every day. And so whether I'm in my house this holy God watches all that I do. He hears everything I say. He knows how I behave. 
It means when I'm at the workplace, God's there. He sees the work that I do. It means when I'm in times of social gatherings, He's there. When I'm all alone, nobody else is around, God is there. I'm always under God's inspection. He sees and hears everything I do. My spouse may not know. My children may not know. My pastors may not know. My neighbors may not know. But Almighty God knows. And I'm, I'm convinced it's one of the things we need to teach our children. God sees everything. Mom and Dad don't have that ability. One of my, one of my children are sitting here this morning. I won't ask him, but I'm sure. <laughs> he did things that I never knew about. But he was never out from underneath God's inspection. We need to be like People that walk with God. People that walk with God. He lived his life with an awareness of God's presence. How would our lives be different if we would walk in that way? Knowing that wherever I'm at, wherever I'm going, whatever I say, God is present. God is present. Turn over. We looked at it or considered it in our call to worship this morning. But turn over to Psalm 34. It was in our, our preparation of the heart. Prep, Psalm 34. Starting at verse 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him, there is no want. What a wonderful promise. If you live in the fear of God, there, there is no want. What does he mean by that? If I live in the fear of God, if I live every day in the presence of God, I'll get that new car. Does that mean I'll, I, I'll get that boyfriend that I'm thinking about? Does that mean I'll get a new... What, what, there's no want. What does that mean? Well, as believers, what is it that you want? What ought to be on the list of what we want as believers. To flee from sin. To be obedient to His Word. To have a strong trust in God. Are those the things you want? Well, hear the Word of God. The one who fears God hates evil. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, fear God and keep His commandments. There's obedience to God's Word. If you fear God, you want to be obedient to God. Proverbs 14.26 In the fear of the Lord there is great confidence. There is great trust in God. What, what more do you want? To be kept from evil. To be found obedient to God. And to live by faith. The fear of the Lord. There is no want. You see why Moses desired that the people would be a people who hear the Word, are instructed in that Word, then they fear God. And then he says, and will observe the things He commands. They live it. They live it out. That was, that was the heart of Moses for, for the children of Israel. When you go in this land... And you face opposition that's real and hard and difficult. Be a people who remember God's law, who seek to apply God's law to their lives, who then fear God and then obey Him in their lives every day. Moses is basically saying this, be a people that walk with God. Be a people that walk with Him. And that message is still the same. Are we a people who walk with God? Are we a people that know of His presence? And is it our longing to ever draw near to Him? We get excited about seeing certain people in our lives. When, when I was made aware of the fact that come Friday, all my children and all my grandchildren are going to be at my house. Every one of them. I was excited. I look forward to that. Because, sadly speaking, all of them are at least an hour or more away from me and I can't draw near to them every day. Now, we certainly live in a wonderful time. I've got a couple of them that video call me about every other day so I can see them. But it was a, it was a glorious time to have all of them there. Now, my house was a lot louder than when it's just Trisha and I. And they ate a whole lot more than if it was just Trisha and I. And I'm a bit sorer, sorer, because we ended up on a baseball field playing baseball. And when you're 68, that doesn't come natural anymore. But what a delight. And I can tell by your smiles on your faces, some of you, yeah, I, I can relate to that. But do we have the same excitement and the same enthusiasm about drawing near to God? About walking in His presence? 
You know, time and time again, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is, is saying to us many times, draw near to God. Draw near to God. There in chapter 10, in verse 19, for whoever draws near to God. And I say this, first of all, you'll never draw near to God apart from His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll never know the sweet and delightful presence of God unless you know it through Christ and through Christ alone. So if you're here this morning and are Christless, then you're not going to know or understand or experience the wonderful, delightful experience of drawing near to God. But it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, when we read there's these words, the one who comes near to God. Or some of your Bibles may say, the ones who seek God. Or the English Standard Version says, for whoever would draw near to God. And, and the interesting thing about that statement is, it's in the present tense, which simply means it's a continual action. It's a continual action of drawing near to God. The, the, the term really means to trample underfoot. You know, you know what he has in mind here is, you know, if you have a neighbor and you're good friends with that neighbor and the two of you get together quite a bit, Sooner or later, probably, imagine if you live in, you don't go out the driveway into the street and into their house. You just cut through the yard. I mean, if it's a really good neighbor, pretty soon you could wear a path going to their house. That's the idea here. Let us wear a path drawing near to God, living in His presence, a well-worn path coming into the presence of God. Do we know of such? Do we live in God's presence? Are we in His Word so we can hear His voice? And do we live every day Knowing God sees. God hears. God knows. And I want Him to smile as He watches me live my life. That was Moses' desire. You're going to go into the land. You're going to go without me. But there's one better than me. It's God. Go with Him. Draw near to Him. May God help us to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has been the mediator between us and you. We thank you that he has been the means by which we're able to come into your presence. We have the privilege of having an audience with God. We, we have the delightful opportunity to, to be near to You. And Father, we're thankful that 
you can be near to us through your word. And therefore, we pray that we might be diligent in hearing and and believing and living the word of God. And so, Father, we pray these things are not something that's just out there someplace, but it's something that we'll realize day after day as we live in this world. And so may you, may you take these things and, and rightly apply it and use it in our lives so that, Father, we might enjoy sweet communion with you. These things we do ask in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 258. 258. The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to light. That's what we praise happens as the Word of God goes forth. 258. Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank you.